You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Instead of targeting an embassy in this case, it was communication pretending to be from embassy and then that's how we got kind of down the rabbit hole to where we are now that's ryan robinson he's a security researcher at intezer the research we're discussing today is titled fishing campaign targets chinese nuclear energy industry well let's go through it together here exactly what's going on with this campaign from a high level, uh, this campaign is the better uh, APT or targeting organizations uh, in China, which uh, is normal. But what's slightly different about this one is that we actually have the emails that were sent, um, you know, to the victims. So we have, you know, essentially the social engineering lures and then also who the potential victims are. Yeah, this allowed us to sort of analyze the social engineering tactics that were used and obviously the payloads and stuff. What this campaign tried to do was better APT pretended to be an attache from the embassy of uh, Kyrgyzstan. Um, it invited the recipients to join some sort of conference or roundtable relating to their field uh, or, or topic. And then along with an attachment that starts uh, the malware chain of uh, infection. And you mentioned that this is uh, seems to align with the bitter APT. What do we know about them? So, as we say in the blog, they're a South Asian uh, frat group, and commonly they target energy and sort of government sectors, particularly Chinese government departments and scientific research uh, in- institutions. But they've also been known to target the Pakistan and Bangladesh and Saudi Arabia, quite a few countries. To be more specific than South Asian, um, other organizations, uh, not us, have attributed them to be from uh, uh, India. So we have where kind of like the biggest clue of this comes from is that uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Kaspersky researchers had noticed that in some code that was created by better uh, APT, 
they noticed uh, an exploit that was, it essentially came from an exploit broker from a, uh, a Texas-based company called Exodus Intelligence. And then uh, Forbes went in and done an investigation on this and started speaking to a few people. And from that, they found out that essentially someone from either an Indian government personnel or contractor, you know, w- was was able to take this code and somehow that made its way. And that made its way into Bitter uh, APT code. Bitter APT is much better documented um, in uh, Chinese sources than I would say in kind of Western uh, English-based sources. Interesting. Well, let's uh, dig into the actual phishing lures here. How are they coming at these people? Okay, so um, we can divide it up into a few topics. So we can first talk about who they were specifically targeting and uh, and then go on who they chose to impersonate and then what kind of lures they were doing. So when it comes to who they were choosing uh, to target, it was mainly after specific people and institutions. And so the email that we show in the blog, um, it targets multiple people inside what is a consortium of uh, Chinese nuclear uh, institutions, mainly for sort of research and development and then to get this into applied nuclear uh, technology. But what I think they specifically really wanted to target uh, for was the Institute of Nuclear Safety Technology. And there's a big overlap between this sort of uh, semi-government institute and uh, academia as well. So what you notice in some of the emails is that some of the people that they target are in both institutions. And it's kind of like they will target both the institutions a bit more broadly, but then also specific people inside them, of which some of those people are in both. So they are. So I can't quite tell whether, you know, like the chicken or the egg, they chose the people, then the institutions first, or the institutions, uh, then the people. But what I would say about some of the people is that they're quite prestigious, you know, their own kind of Wikipedia pages and all, and they'd be quite well known in their respective fields uh, internationally, not just in China. When it came to how they tried to you know, bring them on board, kind of social engineer them, lure them and stuff, the lures are basically based around invitations to uh, conferences and kind of round tables, that sort of thing. So the basic structure of the lure would be you've got an email, comes to your uh, inbox. It pretends to be from what it just says, embassy in China, but more specifically, the embassy of uh, Kyrgyzstan. And in the body of the email, it, um, it sort of throws in a few terms like, hey, you're invited to this conference and you know, it's, uh, it's along with the embassy and other kind of think tanks and stuff like, oh, the China Institute of International Studies and you, and we want to talk about maybe nuclear doctrine or the International Atomic Energy uh, Agency, the IAEA. And I'll also point out that some of the people targeted have either worked in the IAEA or they've worked kind of with them. So it would be quite a familiar uh sort of topic for them and uh, from that kind of social engineering there it says hey like check out the invite or the attachment and that there's a invitation in there and you know that's the start of 
the malware chain. But when it comes to other layers that kind of we've sold is that some of the layers kind of have additional decoys in them. So when you do download and open them, some of them kind of have nothing inside them. But then uh, other sort of more updated layers, they put kind of a decoy. So you're not just kind of left with nothing uh, and confused. So yeah, they, they'll put sort of more kind of details when you open that up. Um, one thing I also kind of say is that when the emails are they're signed off, they're kind of in an open-ended fashion. So it kind of leaves it that if you want to reply to them, you can. And, you know, maybe in that case, if they get one of their specific targets, maybe replying them like, hey, I wasn't able to open that file and stuff. They're able to further engage with them, maybe send them a few more things and all. But then what, what, what's also interesting, kind of the last part of this social engineering lure type of thing is that they also impersonate specific people. Like I said, they're pretending to be the embassy in Kyrgyzstan. So they've signed off the email at the bottom with uh, the name of an actual attache um, in the embassy. But I want to point out they're not using this person's uh, email or anything. The email is being created anew. And so what I think they've done is that it's very easy to find this information online. You know, if you go to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs website for Kyrgyzstan, you can find the names of these uh, attaches and what their jobs are. Even through LinkedIn, you can find their profiles. So what I think the group have been doing is that, you know, I wouldn't really call this sophisticated, but it's very, very fair. So, it is. so you know, they've managed to choose who they want to target who they want to pretend to be in sending these. And they'll, you can get all that through open source uh, information just by using search engines, Google, LinkedIn, what have you. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Let's talk about the, the actual payloads and, and how they're delivered. Uh, how are they choosing to go about that? So, um, as I sort of said before, they're an attachment within the body of the email. And um, first of all, they're in a RAR attachment. And a RAR is a, it's kind of like a zip file, so just a way of uh, compressing the payload. And, you know, what's nice about a RAR file is that since it compresses the payload, uh, for some static-based kind of malware defenses, it's not able to uh, analyze that without taking uh, extra steps, i.e. with taking the attachment and then decompressing and then grabbing the payload out there and then continuing. And so inside that RAR attachment, there are a couple of routes of which you could take. There is either an Excel file, and that Excel file has... uh, what is quite a common uh, exploit inside it. And then that exploit creates a scheduled task, which can start from the next stage. 
if I go to other route instead of an Excel file, what they really commonly use is what's called a Microsoft compiled HTML help file or a CHM file. It's kind of something that's not really used that much anymore, like kind of legitimately, but it's something that you might remember if you were using kind of Windows back in the day of like XP or like Windows and uh, Windows uh, kind of 95 or 98 hmm. or something. It's, it's when you click on the help button, it's sometimes kind of brought up what kind of looks like a web page, but it's not a proper web browser. Those types of files, you can still execute code on them. And again, that creates the scheduled task. So those scheduled tasks, they're either going to do one of a few things, depending on what sort of route the payload has got. Very commonly, it uses MSI uh, exec to to basically download a a remote MSI file and then uh, execute that. And that one's one's, uh, very, very common. That's kind of been documented in uh, other blogs and it's like techniques that they've been using for years. In other cases, it uses uh, curl. So quite a common sort of like a command line based uh, sort of HTTP client. So you can essentially make kind of basic web requests and then do what you want with the downloaded data. Or in the later versions that we said there's something kind of new, we've noticed that they've moved over to using PowerShell uh, instead um, after that. And then once the scheduled tasks that use these kind of living off the land uh, uh, techniques downloaded, that's where you'll get a kind of downloader uh, sort of module. And then from there, extra payloads are sent over depending on what like the task kind of needs. They're not mm-hmm. used like a vast, sort of a vast kind of tool set. Uh, after that, it really depends. How do you recommend that folks best protect themselves against this? As I maybe said before, that it's not what I would call sophisticated, but they were quite fur, so they were. So I would honestly recommend this like a basic level is that, you know, if you're an employee inside a company, energy company, you know, essentially any uh, org, is that you should probably have a good standard of security awareness around phishing uh, e- 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 emails. and. The reason why I said for this is that the lures themselves can be quite convincing. Like I said, they're referencing organizations that are highly related to the people or you know that they've even worked in before or that they'll be familiar working with. And and then they sign off in names of like real people. So if you were to say look for the name of that person, you go, Oh yeah, that person's real. That's fine. But it's not from that person. So just because the email says something doesn't mean it's true. Therefore, security awareness is good. And when it comes to after not protecting your computer, so say, you know, your first stage of awareness fails, after that, I'd probably recommend just a good sort of EDR, XDR um, kind of endpoint security, you know, for your computer. So if the first stage fails and then you go on the click on one of those files, you're going to want to hope that the next levels of security are going to then capture that for you. You know, so if one of the, like the scheduled tasks is uh, created, their security products realize that maybe that's not a normal uh, scheduled task. It's pretending to be something else that can masquerade that it might detect that and block it. So basically I would say awareness, first of all, and then, you know, 
don't get hit. But if you do get hit, make sure you have extra levels kind of defense and death uh, strategy. Your blog post mentions that bitter APT have been around for a while now, for, for a few years. Um, what's your sense in terms of their sophistication? You know, in this case, the activity that we've seen here isn't particularly sophisticated. You know, it's 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 not hard to understand what's going on and what the chains are all. And honestly, in this case, maybe they don't have to be since it's the first stage. You know, they, you know, they only have to be lucky once. You know, whereas you, if you're being targeted, you have to be lucky uh, each time. So. I don't think maybe they care too much about um, getting caught in that regards. But where they have been more sophisticated is that in other attacks, we've seen like uh, like uh, kernel level as uh, kernel levels as zero day exploits being used. You know that w- would suggest quite a bit of sophistication. You know, being able to use that. But like I said before, it's that they haven't managed to develop these exploits themselves they manage to get them off a broker that sells uh, exploits so while sometimes the, the the skills they themselves might not be too sophisticated they can still get their hands on essentially a sophisticated uh, toolkit on you know because essentially that's just a money problem <laughs> so it is so yeah i i would say they aren't being that sophisticated but i wouldn't underestimate them, you know, they can they, they can pull out something that hasn't been seen before just because they can buy it. Our thanks to Ryan Robinson from Intezer for joining us. The research is titled Fishing Campaign Targets Chinese Nuclear Energy Industry. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a message from CyberBit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then, you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need CyberBit. CyberBit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>